1: Welcome to My Weekly Mixtape, a podcast that takes the classic mixtape approach to building a modern playlist. I'm your host, Brian Colburn. Joining me once again as guest curator is my good friend D.T. Carroll, host of the YouTube program Space Castle. D.T., welcome back, man.
2: Thanks, man. You make me sound so professional. It's awesome.
1: Well, it's blast-off time, so why wouldn't it be? (laughs) blast-off (laughs) time. So if you don't get that throwback reference, go check out episode 32, the Ultimate 2000s Garage Rock playlist. Tonight, we are not talking about Garage Rock. We are creating a time capsule of the year 2023. We're going to wrap it up with a nice little musical bow, if you will. If you had to describe 2023 in one word, musically,
2: what would you choose? Uh, can, can it be two words hyphenated? I guess I'll allow it. I, I'm going to say comeback because we had so many classic bands drop brand new music that just blew everybody's minds. And we're going to talk about some of those bands tonight, obviously. But this is just a, a really interesting, like perfect storm year where so many bands came back and dropped a brand new album almost out of nowhere or a brand new track almost out of nowhere. And everybody was just freaking out. And it's just been super cool to see all those bands that I've loved growing up drop new music for the first time in decades, some of them. And just rock out like they haven't missed a beat. Just super cool.
1: So you use comeback. I am going to use the word cyclical. Ooh. And as we go through the night, at least with the songs I have in my bank, I feel like the word cyclical works. Because music comes and goes in trends, and there's always little nods and throwbacks to the past while continuing to move forward in that circle. And I think a lot of the songs I'm talking about tonight kind of follow that path.
2: I think so, too. I think a lot of my songs are the same way. And I I love that as, like, an end-of-the-year wrap-up, too. Like, it's got a really good, like... Let's close things out and start the next year off on the right foot type of thing. I like that, Brian. This is why they pay you the big bucks. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, if you just give me a second to move my piles of
1: money off to the side, we can get started with this episode. (laughs) Tonight, as I mentioned at the top of the show, DT and I are curating a Songs of 2023 playlist, and we're going to use the old cassette deck approach. DT is my special guest. We'll begin Side A with his first song choice, and then I'll add a song that I feel best follows up that choice. We'll then flip-flop choosing songs until we've mapped out 10 songs for Side A. We'll then give our mixtape a proverbial flip and we'll map outside. Be only this time, I'll kick things off with DT choosing second. Our overall goal for the episode is to craft the best songs of 2023 playlist possible through only 20 songs. And at the end of the show, you can take our conversation to the next level by visiting the episode page at myweeklymixtape.com to give our final mixtape a listen via the embedded playlist. And if you like what you're hearing on the show, you can help me out by either telling a friend leaving the show a five-star review wherever you're tuning in, or by becoming a Patreon mixtaper at patreon.com forward slash mixtape. And since this episode is a time capsule for the year, I asked the Patreon mixtapers to chime in with both their song and album of the year, and they did not disappoint. Cactus Pete's Songs of the Year included Old Dominion's Memory Lane, Blink-182's One More Time, Extreme's Other Side of the Rainbow, and Mammoth WVH's Take a Bow, which also gets his guitar solo nod of the year, Me Too, as, spoiler alert, that one is in my bank for tonight. Cactus Pete's albums of the year are Old Dominion's Memory Lane and Extreme's Six, which was a close second. Jason Donches said two ladies stole the show this year. The first, another one I have in my bank, is the incredible Grace Potter, with Jason saying that her Mother Road record is amazing and Good Time as a single should be Song of the Year. The concept of the record and wild variation of styles... Is amazing but with that he said his record of the year is jack's hallows only the wild ones saying that she's the new grace potter and the up-and-coming star that people need to hear she could rip on guitar rip in all capitals and her song crafting and vocals are amazing she could play full band or as a looper and still bring amazing energy amazing artist and amazing record So that's one to check out. And if it gets Jason Donchus' stamp of approval, it's something I am most certainly going to be checking out as well. Sean Faust chimed in with three songs. The Beatles' Now and Then. The Rolling Stones with Lady Gaga and Stevie Wonder' Sweet Sounds of Heaven. And something I recently talked about on episode 44 with singer-songwriter Kay Hanley from Letters to Cleo. And that is Keep Us Connected, Subspace Rhapsody, from Star Trek's Strange New Worlds.
2: I love Sean Faust, that guy rules.
1: Yeah, Sean's been a great friend of mine for decades. And then obviously talking about Kay Hanley before, she is such a lovely human being. Even if you think you're not familiar with Letters to Cleo, go back and give that episode a listen because I am sure you will be very surprised by some of the things they have been included with, including 10 Things I Hate About You, The Craft, Josie and the Pussycats, as we mentioned, Star Trek, Strange New Worlds, Doc McStuffins, yes, from Disney, so much more, so please go check that one out.
2: Dude, I am jealous you got to talk to Kay and like Frank Hannon from Tesla. I feel like every time I blink, like your show is getting bigger with bigger and bigger guests. And then I come on and it's like, oh, what the hell am I doing here? I feel like one of these days, it's going to be like James Hetfield from Metallica one week. (laughs) And then you're going to be like, oh, and the next week, here's my buddy DT, who's got 400 subs on YouTube.
1: (laughs) Hey, that's 400 more subs than I have on YouTube, man, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) <laughs> That's why we're an audio only show here at My <laughs> Weekly Mixtape. If I I would get negative subs if I started
2: doing videos, but I digress. Oh, I disagree. That that goatee is <laughs> glorious, sir.
1: <laughs> Philip Bergman chimed in with two Song of the Year choices, both being from the Paranoid Styles new album, Print the Legend, and I Love the Sound of Structured Class. Seeker chimed in from Australia with Ghosts Jesus He Knows Me, mm. and last but not least, Mally Hart chimed in with Bullies All I Do or Blanchel's Salad for Song of the Year, and Bullies Lucky for You or Superchunks Mistakes for Album of the Year. So there's a lot to digest there. D-T. Yeah,
2: that's that's an eclectic collection, and that's what's awesome about the mixtapers, man. They all have such great taste in music, and it's also varied.
1: Oh, I'm not gonna lie, there are several of the songs I just rattled off that are sitting in my bank. Yeah. Waiting to see if they'll work in this mix tonight. <laughs> nice. Well, with all of that musical food for thought out in the atmosphere, I'm officially pressing the record button on our mixtape and opening this 2023 time capsule, if you will. So DT, it truly is blast off time now. What song <laughs> I can't even get through it. <laughs> what song are
2: you diving into to kick off side A? There is only one track that can kick off the best songs of 2023, in my opinion, and it is Bogus Operande" by The Hives from the death of Randy Fitzsimmons. Holy shit. I waited over a decade for this album. They are my favorite band. It did not disappoint. It is probably the best hard rock song of the decade, if not this year. I love everything about it. I think the song is just phenomenal hearing Nicholas Arsene just shred on guitar again and Howlin Paley Almquist just screaming out vocals. And the whole album just feels like, and this song in particular just feels like a culmination of all of their like young, dumb punk stuff all the way up to all the stuff they did with like Pharrell and whatnot as their producer. And everything just culminates into just this awesome, tight, matured package of the Hive's sound. And right from the get go, that that opening open E string is just, oh my God. And then the song kicks into gear and I'm not going to I'm not going to lie. This is a goofy like garage rock song. And I teared up the first time I heard it because it was just like it's been over a decade. and You guys did not disappoint me. You came back and you haven't missed a beat. It's wonderful. The whole album is fantastic. I, I can't stress enough how much you need to listen to this album and then go back and listen to their entire catalog. They're just wonderful. I love the hives. And they are known as one of the best live bands ever and I keep missing them every time they come on tour and I keep kicking myself. So I'm playing this song over and over again with my eyes closed, like pretending I'm like front row in a Hives concert. So yeah, Bogus Operande from the Hives from their first album in a decade. That's my track one.
1: I have to give you a hat tip, man. One, that was definitely in my bank of songs. So scooped right from the jump here. <laughs> I also think it's kind of poetic because your first episode was 2000s Garage Rock. Yeah. So now you could butt both playlists up and musically they're going to flow from 2000s Garage Rock into the songs of 2023 seamlessly. So uh, bravo for that. And I think we can all agree that the world is a better place when it includes new music from the Hives. Dude,
2: absolutely.
1: And I feel like this is one of those songs that kind of came out of nowhere. There wasn't this massive buildup all year, like the Hives are coming back. The hi- it just kind of came out yeah. you know, and everybody kind of exploded with, oh my God, they're back. Obviously, people that are massive- hives fans probably knew that things were in the works leading up to it but i feel like the splash that they made was kind of out of nowhere for this one
2: so i've been a huge fan for like 20 years now and no actually like they were like hey we're gonna do an album and i was like what everybody was like what are you talking about and they're like here here's the single and everybody's like holy shit okay like when are you guys gonna tour like right now like okay great here we go like all right cool thanks hives like yeah, no, it was it was almost like without warning, and I was I was texting everybody I know. I was on like the internet talking about it. Like it came out of nowhere because it's been over a decade. There was talk about them deciding to hang it up and like just be like a touring band or just break up all together. And then they drop this track and they drop this album, and it's just reignited everything. It's like two thousand one all over again.
1: And what I love about it is this song sits on my personal top tunes playlist. And it's always followed up by another song. So I'm just going to do that and follow it up here with that song. Another song that's sitting in my bank for songs of the year, because to follow up the energy that bogus operandi has, it's a tough energy to match Mm. because let's face it, 2023 is not the year of garage bands that was back in the 2000s. There are some elements of it in music, but it's not as prevalent as it was in its heyday, of course. However, an album came out early in the year where one of the singles incorporates a little bit of that garage rock sound, only they're mixing it with a touch of 70s arena rock. Think Cheap Trick, Thin Lizzy, those type of bands here. And I'm going to go with White Reaper from their Asking for a Ride album. And I'm going to go with Fog Machine, The Drive, The Energy. The guitar work in the beginning, you almost feel like, I said, it's that cheap trick. You got the double guitars. It feels really 70s. But as you move through the song, you hear that garage rock bounce. And it's a very slick garage rock. And it's mixed with a little bit of elements of glam and punk. And then they mix... Throughout the album, some pop elements and everything else, just an all-around unique band that I think more people need to know about. So following up the hives, I'm going with White Reaper, Fog
2: Machine. I love the pick. I love the band. This is why we're friends. Fantastic track. <laughs> and I love the fact that you you made the correlation between garage rock and also like like 70s and 80s guitar rock, like anthemic rock. Because I remember listening to the album and then going online and like having a discussion about it. I remember seeing somebody online like early in the year. And one of the comments was, this is the most the boys are back in town ass song I've ever heard in a good way. And I was like, after I stopped laughing, I was like, yeah, like it is absolutely like in the same vein of like Thin Lizzy meets like modern garage rock. And like the bass riff throughout the song is like totally within the same vein of Fell Line It. Like it's a perfect marriage of anthemic old garage rock and like Chicago style rock and roll from that era with the stuff that's come out today. I love the pick. I love the band. Excellent track. Everybody should be listening to White Reaper. They're fantastic.
1: They absolutely are. And I. It, it's funny because they've been around for a long time. Yeah. So I'm talking about them like they're new. Make no mistake. I know that I have their earlier albums. And this is one of those albums that... Some longtime fans feel like it's deviating a little bit from what they're used to, but White Reaper kind of takes liberties and takes chances because I have a couple of their songs on some of my pop playlists that work extremely well from their earlier albums. It just has that feel to it. I'm not saying it's pop-like you would say something from the Barbie soundtrack, but it's definitely got a little bit of a pop sensibility to it.
2: Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call it pop rock, but it's definitely, like you said, it's got those those pop elements. But so does Cheap Trick. So does Thin Lizzy. Of course. So, yeah. Yes. I mean, they're they're very much in that same family of music and they do it very, very well. They're awesome. Well, let's follow it up now with track three. Okay. So I'm going to kind of go in sort of the same vein. My next track is, is very poppy. It's reminiscent of bands like Sparks. If you're familiar with Sparks, if you're not, you should mm. be. Go and watch that documentary by Edgar Wright. It's phenomenal. Then go listen to their entire discography. But uh, this band is from Britain and they just broke out like pretty much this year. And uh, they dropped a couple of singles. They haven't even released like an LP or an EP yet. And they're already like topping the charts and like blowing up. It's insane. It's a quintet of really, really talented women. The band is called The Last Dinner Party. The single is called Sinner. And it is just an absolute banger. And it starts out with like this keyboard sequence that sounds like Sparks. And then it launches into like a rock track that's to me reminiscent of like Foo Fighters and like OK Go and bands like that, where it's very poppy, but there's a lot of nuance and stuff going on in the background, too. There's multiple vocal tracks, multiple guitar players. You don't know who's singing at what time because they blend their vocals so well. The song is just really, really cool and they've blown up. And they have to be on one of the best of 2023 song lists because they've blown up so quickly and so massively that. There was backlash when they became really popular all of a sudden. People like, you know, this band is like a studio plant. Like, they're manufactured. They're like the Spice Girls. And they're not. The music is just that freaking good that they blew up and everybody, myself included, latched onto it. And yeah, I mean, for somebody to have that sort of like meteoric rise and just take over the airwaves with only two songs out there, like, you got to give them some credit for that. It's insane. And also, like all the people who are calling them plants, I hate to say it, but like all the most popular bands in the world are like studio plants in some level. <laughs> there's marketing, and there's like people behind those bands like making them popular to try and sell their music to you. So like, don't knock musicians from making money, getting popular. That's what the goal is. But yeah, the last dinner party. It's a quirky track. It's weird. It's awesome. It's cool. Sinner. It's a great track. Check it out right now. Just stop listening to Brian's show. It's it's all downhill from <laughs> here. Just. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. But yeah, go check out those two singles from The Last Dinner Party and then go watch their YouTube videos because their live performances are insane.
1: Yeah, I liken this track to a vibe. When I listen to this song, yeah. it is a vibe that is very unique in and of itself. And I love the way the song gets your head kind of bobbing, but it's not a rocker where your head is bobbing like headbanging. It's like you're kind of grooving to this song because there's this groove throughout. But I love the fact that you found a way, because there's a classic sound to the lead guitar that runs throughout this track. Mm -hmm. So coming out of the dual guitars of White Reaper, I still feel like there's this classic rock guitar sound that's woven throughout Sinner. And I'll say right now, we are recording this in 2023. Prelude to Ecstasy, the band's first album, drops in 2024. Mm -hmm. I'll be very curious to see if Sinner is one of those songs that ends up on 2023's list and 2024's list because of the loophole that the album dropped in that year. Could be. Because this is one of those bands that looks like 2024 is set to be their year.
2: Yeah, they've already exploded in 2023. And once that once that EP drops, I think they're going to be one of the biggest bands in the world.
1: Well, following that up,
2: man. Hmm. Sorry to make it hard on you. <laughs> no, I mean, look, that's what this is all about. I'm sure you got something in the chamber though. I'm, I'm ready.
1: Yeah. The vibe of this song is tough to come out of without a massive pivot in some way, but I think I have. Mm, all right. Well, there's certain artists I have to talk about tonight, but if I were to put one of these two artists in alone in and of itself, the pivot would be so strong. That it would blow us off the rails right by track four. <laughs> so, what I'm gonna do is use this artist who I'm a huge fan of, and that artist is Chris Stapleton, mm-hmm. but I'm gonna use him in a guest spot. I'm gonna kill two birds with one stone. Oh. And I'm gonna go with Alana Springsteen from her 20 something album. Love it. Featuring Chris Stapleton, Ghost in My Guitar. Sinner has two elements that really stand out to me from The Last Dinner Party, and that's Abigail Morris's voice, obviously combined with all the others in the harmonies they're doing, and that Emily Roberts lead guitar riff. Mm -hmm. So sliding out of that, the haunting guitar that Chris Stapleton puts out in Ghost of My Guitar, I think flows very seamlessly. And again, I'm sticking with this female voice, but... When you hear Alana Springsteen, which I also want to point out, little sidebar, not related to Bruce.
2: Just <laughs> want to put that there. Yeah.
1: Oh, and also uh, there's going to be a Bruce Springsteen episode of my weekly mixtape coming your way in just a few short weeks.
2: At this point, I wouldn't be shocked if Bruce isn't on that episode with you. <laughs> <laughs> You're blowing up, sir. You yeah, are the, my you. dinner party of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, the thing I love about Alana Springsteen is her voice is very smooth. Mm -hmm. And I think it shares the same qualities as Abigail from The Last Dinner Party. Now, it is a country song, but it's more of that country pop. So it blurs the lines. And Chris's guitar, which is just freaking haunting. Yeah. And her vocals are just so sultry over this kind of dark and reverb heavy riff. It works so, so well. I mean, look, Chris Stapleton's higher album is one of my top albums of the year. I really wanted to include a song from him, but when I heard the last dinner party, I said, you know what? I get to talk about how much I love that album. Cause higher is an amazing album, but kill two birds with one stone and continue the vibe. We've got going here by including Alana Springsteen. So Alana Springsteen featuring Chris Stapleton, Ghost in my guitar.
2: I love the fact that you use the word haunting to describe the song because that's exactly the word I would choose too. Like there's obviously it's it's a song about anger and resentment and that carries through without being like overbearing and kitschy. Like it's just a dirge. It's haunting and angry and it sticks with you and it's lovely. That whole album is great. Like Elena Springsteen is just knocking it out of the park. I am not the hugest fan of pop country, but she's doing all the right things. And there's another track on that album called Tennessee is mine that I absolutely love. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she's just killing it. So more of that, more Alana Springsteen, more of that type of, of pop country, because she's just she's nailing it. She's nailing that vibe. If we're going with that whole that whole vibe motif through the through the playlist. She's
1: Yeah. I mean, look, part. a year ago before my weekly mixtape launched, I was singing the praises for Laney Wilson. And she just won Entertainer of the Year at the CMAs. I think next year is the year of Alana Springsteen. If she continues down the road, she did with this one.
2: I agree completely. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, yeah. we're back to you now for track five.
2: Uh, You want to keep the vibe going? Let's let's keep the vibe going. Here's one of the most vibey bands ever. And one of the bands we actually talked about on the ultimate playlist for 2000s Garage Bands. It is The Kills. And yes. the track is 103 off of God Games. And it's Alison Mosshart and Jamie Hintz. And if you're not familiar, they've been around since the 2000s. They're a very, very minimalist garage rock band where it's oftentimes just Alison Mosshart just screaming over Jamie Vince's very, very minimalist guitar riffs with like oftentimes just a drum machine behind the two of them. And this album, God Games, is probably the most complex album they've ever put out. It's got a lot more going on in terms of like... Levels and depth and things going on, as opposed to just guitar, drums, and Alison Moss Monthart, Hart's vocals. And this song, again, is haunting, even though it's kind of got almost like an upbeat feel to it. One hundred and three, and it's just got this chord progression that just runs through the whole thing. That just, it's all minor chords, but it feels like like major chords in the way it's played, and it's just delightful. It's just got that edge that Kills are known for. It's just really great to see them continuously evolving as musicians, but also sticking to their roots. Like you watch their live shows when they're performing for this album. And it's it's like it's still 2001, like I said before with the Hives, where they're putting out evolved and more mature and more nuanced and more layered music, but it's still very much in the same vein and same heart of what they've been doing for 20 years. And the entire album is fantastic. It is a vibe. It's not going to be for everybody because it's a little bit slow and it's just like a kickback and like... Maybe do some graphic design or something work while you're listening to it. But 103, I think, is the pinnacle of the album. Yeah, it's The Kills. 103 off the album, God Games. Go check it out right now. It's fantastic.
1: I'll just say this 103, and I never thought I would use this word when describing The Kills, is a euphoric track. Yeah. The music is almost hypnotic in the way it's played. If you listen to that with a set of headphones, it almost puts you in a trance during the verses. But then that chorus kicks in and you've got that stanky lead guitar that she's <laughs> singing over. And it just brings it to this extra level.
2: It's like if you took like My Bloody Valentine and you just stripped it to a bass level without all like the synths and the reverb and all that stuff. Or like I said, it's just dirty fucking guitars. Allison Mosshart just crooning with like some levels of sound and like design behind them, and it, like I said, it's their most layered and complex and less minimalist album I think they've ever done. But it still feels minimalist because it all just ties together seamlessly. It's it's gorgeous.
1: Well, this is another example of that word cyclical I used at the beginning, because the song was put out in 2023, but there's almost in this song a throwback. To some of the 70s sounds, maybe some of the early 80s too, but not really so much in the new wave vein. I'm thinking more of the weird kind of psychedelic classic rock sounds that I do hear woven underneath this really indie. I don't want to use the word grunge because when I say grunge, (laughs) people automatically think 90s grunge. But there's a grungy sound to the kills. It's not overproduced it's very minimalistic Mm -hmm. and that was something that a lot of the psychedelic rock bands in the 70s used and coming out of that i want to bounce off of it with a throwback feel and i know because i posted this album cover and all of a sudden i got equal amounts of praise and equal amounts of venom (laughs) Uh So, look, I'm all here for it, but I'm team praise when it comes to Greta Van Fleet. Okay, yeah. And I'm going to go off their Starcatcher album with the track The Falling Sky. I get it. People say, oh, Greta Van Fleet is just a Led Zeppelin ripoff. I'm not 100% on board with that because, for me, I feel like Josh Kiska's voice is more in tune with Getty Lee from Rush than Robert Plant. I hear more of the Getty Lee movements in his voice. Now, musically, I'm not saying that Greta Van Fleet sounds like Rush. Sure. Let me. If they did, it would be Rush's first album, which was that blues rock that was very much in tune with Led Zeppelin
2: sound. Yeah. Do they rip Led Zeppelin off? Um, yes and no, but I mean, in the world of rock, in the world of music in general, who isn't ripping somebody else off? In some shape or form one thing about this track and one thing about this album is that they have i think evolved away from being what could almost be considered a carbon copy or a direct lift of led zeppelin i think the vocals i think the guitars i think the rhythm i think the harmonies i think just the writing of the songs in general have evolved from the point of being of of just dismissing them as a led zeppelin ripoff band anymore i think the falling sky is a great track i think like you said the lead singer's vocals They're moving away from the Robert Plant style and it's becoming more of his own. And I think he's going to have to do that as he gets older because you can't just, you can't sustain that type of singing all the time. Like you're going to blow out your vocal cords. But I think they've evolved past that. In the past, I've not always been a fan, but I do really like this album. I think it's the best thing they've put out. And if they continue on this trend, I can see myself being a fan at some point. But are they a ripoff? I don't think they're a ripoff. I I think they're very heavily influenced. It got their foot in the door. It got them noticed. Uh, Let's be fucking honest. Like Led Zeppelin ripped people off too, left and right. Like They've had lawsuits. They've had court cases where people have sued them and won for stealing their music. So who's the bad guy? I mean, I don't know. It's a slippery slope.
1: Yeah, my take on this, to be honest, is who cares, Ah. really? Because at the end of the day, there are people that are out there saying, my God, I wish we had new music from Led Zeppelin. My God, I wish they would have gotten back together in 2007 after the O2 Arena show and gone on tour so I could have seen them maybe done one last album. If a band wants to carry that torch for that style of music, I'm all for it. Sure. Because I can't get new Led Zeppelin music. But I enjoy hearing kids that are much younger than me embracing bands that were way before their generation and using it to move forward. Did they lean a little too heavy-handed on it at the beginning? Maybe, but Daniel Wagner's drums in this song, The Falling Sky, he's got a drum groove in it where I, is the first time I actually said to myself, wow, they're pulling away from the John Bonham stomp. Exactly, yeah. And they're starting to come into their own now. And I think it's always going to be over their heads that they're a clone of Led Zeppelin but this groove I think is the starting point to bring the band out of the Star Wars pun alert Clone Wars (laughs) (laughs) if you will but Greta Van Fleet The Falling Sky
2: I dig it I like it a lot good pick
1: Following up Greta Van Fleet how are you going to come out of that
2: Uh, I'm going to go right back to the vibe (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, this next pick is by Jenny Lewis. It's off her new album, Joy All. And the song is called Psychos, which is the first track on the album. And it just sets the tone for this. I've been a huge Jenny Lewis fan for a long time. I was a big fan of Rilo Kylie. I just love their indie vibe. It was her. It was the dude from Salute Your Shorts on guitar. Like It was just tailor-made for me as a kid who grew up loving indie music and grew up in the 90s. So, like, you know, I have had a crush on Jenny Lewis since I saw her in *The Wizard* with Fred Savage when I was like eight years old. <laughs> but uh, this new album is—it's actually—I I should have followed up *The Ghost of My Guitar* by Lana Springsteen with this track because Jenny goes in much more of like a folky country sort of vein in this album, and it's really lovely. And she's able to, as such a versatile artist, be able to like jump from genre to genre. And here she just goes like full on, like twangy, slide slag guitar, like banjo, like country ballads. And it's super fun, but she also does it with like, and she's always had this, like this delightful sense of pretentiousness, which I mean, all rock musicians have that sort of pretentiousness to them, but she wears it on her sleeve and it becomes an accessory for like her persona and her music. And I don't mean that in a bad way at all, because it's delightful. It's snarky. It's it's satirical almost like there's a song on the album that's called A Truck and a Puppy. <laughs> like this is where she's going with this album. And you could say that she's almost like making fun of country music, but she's not because she's just embracing it, but embracing it in that pretentious way that she always does. And if you see the the album art, like it looks like something from like an ABBA poster, like a concert poster or something. Like mm-hmm. she's just all over the place with the uh, the aesthetics, but it all ties together beautifully and wonderfully. And this song Psychos is just it's biting and there's some lines in there just make you go like, "Oh damn!" Like, what's going on, Jenny? Like, but uh, that's the way she's always been. She's been somebody who's not afraid to just bear it all and just like tell you to go fuck yourself if you don't like what she's doing. But uh, yeah, no, this album is a blast. It's again, it's a, it's a vibe. Like, there's not a whole lot besides just some twangy, fun country and her just having a blast with that aesthetic. But uh, it's, it's really dope. It's cool. It's awesome. Jenny Lewis psychos off the album Joy All.
1: Well, I'm going to challenge you on the country thing in just a moment. But before I do that, I do want to say bravo on The Wizard, bringing that up.
2: Oh, dude, love that movie, man.
1: I mean, to me, that was the greatest 90-minute commercial for a video game (laughs) I'd ever seen in my entire life. My buddy and I left the theater going, we need Super Mario Brothers 3 right now. Like, oh, my God, our minds were blown. Yeah. And that's all the movie basically was was a 90 minute setup for <laughs> Super Oh, it's Mario's fantastic.
2: Life. Yeah, when like the little brother gets to the competition, like the game playing competition in California, and like he wins. And the thing that always kills me is like Fred Savage is in the crowd. He's like, use the warp whistle, the warp whistle. And it's like, dude, nobody's ever fucking heard of this game before. How do you know about the warp whistle already, <laughs> man? Like Nintendo, ease up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing I'm gonna challenge you on though. You hear country in this, and yes, that is woven throughout the whole album, but I heard something a little different when I listened to Psychos for the first time. Okay. And again, cyclical. I hear a song that's rooted in early Fleetwood Mac Rumors
2: era vibe. hundred percent. Yeah. She's got that Stevie Nicks vibe for sure going on. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I mean that with the utmost respect, yeah. and I'm complimenting when I say that. It has that Rumors vibe, and that's not easy to accomplish. You need separation between the instruments. You need room to breathe musically for the vocals. And to me, you can take Dreams from Fleetwood Mac, Ravenous from Nikki Bloom and the Gramblers, and Psychos from Jenny Lewis, play them back to back to back, and there's a vibe going. Totally. Again, 1977, 2023. It's cyclical, and this song fits under that as well.
2: Yeah, dude. Awesome call. Awesome pull on that one. You're absolutely right. It's definitely got that Fleetwood Mac vibe to it for sure.
1: Well, coming out of that, I'm going to continue right down that road of kind of a throwback sound, a throwback vibe. And this is another one of my favorite albums of the year. It came out very, very recently as for when we're recording this in the end of November, and that is the Struts Pretty Vicious album.
2: Love this album, and I love the Struts. Awesome. The Struts, I fell
1: in love with them the first time I heard Could Have Been Me. Absolutely. Yeah. As soon as I heard the song once, I'm like, who is this band? This is unique. This is amazing. I need to get everything they've ever done. By that point, they only had an EP in the US, mm-hmm. and I've been a fan ever since. Thankfully, the Foo Fighters have brought them out to really helped them get a name for themselves. Yep. They're getting picked up a lot right now, and I feel like Pretty Fish, this is the album that's going to make them explode, at least in the US. They're already very popular in the UK, but the song I'm going to go with- As much as I love the opening track, Too Good at Raising Hell, that is just a Rolling Stones-esque bravado stomper that has just such a dirty groove to it. It's so catchy. It's got horns in it. It really feels like a modern Rolling Stones. But I'm actually going to go with track two on the album, which is the album's title track. Pretty vicious. Oh, okay. The only critique I have of the song is that it is track two on the album. I feel like if this was a vinyl record, this should be the song that closes outside A Hmm. because it just builds and builds and builds. And Luke Spiller shows off his vocal range throughout the whole track because you've got this verse chugging along and he's just singing in this really deep low register. And the musical backdrop that they're playing behind it almost feels like it'd be something that you would see on the early days of MTV. Yeah, It just has that... I don't want to say 80s feel because it's not very new wavy, but there's definitely elements in it. And the guitar with a lot of the reverb on it again, just like Chris Stapleton did on Ghost of My Guitar. It's that same kind of sound. I would almost liken it to something you would hear on the Miami Vice soundtrack almost. But anyway. As the song continuously builds, Luke's voice goes into the stratosphere and then this jam kicks in at the end and you've got a killer guitar solo and an amazing piano solo and the song is over five minutes long Mm. and every time it ends... It took me probably a good hour to get past that track because <laughs> yeah. I just kept going back. I was like, I'm, I'm literally spellbound by this song. And I had to listen to it at least five or six times in a row before I can continue on with the rest of the album. And that speaks volumes to me. So the struts pretty vicious.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, it's a track that if it wasn't the struts and it being five minutes along, other bands probably couldn't get away with the same thing just for what the song is. But it's such a vibe and it's such a jam and they pull it off so beautifully because they're one of those bands that's theatrical. I I think they're very much in the same vein, or at least they were when they they first kind of hit it big. Very much in the same vein of like Queen, where you've got, you know, the lead singer strutting around with this incredible vocal range, just the powerful guitars in the same vein of like Brian May and whatnot. And okay, let me let me throw this at you in the whole cyclical thing in terms of like music coming full circle and whatnot. This track reminds me a lot of like Chris Isaac from the late 80s, early 90s. Oh, yeah. Do you, do you get, get that? feel that. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. 100%. So, I mean, they're, they're, they're a band that's kind of riffed on the whole Queen thing. And now with this track, they're riffing on like that really sexy kind of vibey sort of like love ballad song. Like, we're not talking about like being in love. We're talking about the other thing. You know what I mean? But yeah, I get a, a total Chris Isaac vibe from this song. And I, I just love the struts. I love the fact that they're able to just kind of cherry pick really cool things about rock and roll music, but also give it their own twist and make it their own. Uh, It's another band I'm dying to see live because I've I've Mm. seen like live footage and whatnot, and they just look like they're having so much fun. They look like they just love music. They love their fans. And that's a band that, like you said, I hope they make it big this year. I hope this is the year that they just explode on the scene in the States because people are not going to know what, what hits them when that band makes it big. They're wonderful.
1: Yeah. We better see them soon because I feel like that's a definite, I just don't see any universe where a band that's this talented and has this much charisma and this much uniqueness is going to go unnoticed. Yeah. And I would rather see them in a smaller venue now while I still have the chance. So that way I could say, hey, I saw them back when, because I really feel like this album is going to be what launches them. Just like I've said several times tonight. Yeah. All right. We each have one track left for side A. So we're back to you now for track
2: nine. All right. I'm going to keep the vibe going once again. <laughs> vibe, vibe, cyclical vibes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. it's it's The whole thing is cyclical in the fact that it's cyclical. Uh, this is a different vibe though. It's, it's more upbeat, a little more poppy, a little bit more kind of makes you want to put on some running shoes and go for a jog or just go outside and enjoy like the autumn air and just be outside and just take a look at the world around you. Uh, it's a track by an artist named Bakar from the UK. He hit it big in 2019 with a hit single called Helen and Back. And you've no doubt heard on the radio, even if you don't recognize the name, if you wouldn't listen to it on Spotify right now, you'd know the track. He's still kind of underground, hasn't really like struck it big, even though he's like on the charts and getting, you know, regular rotation on, on the pop radio stations. The track is to open my heart, and it's the track that closes out his latest release this year called Halo. He's been a mainstay in pop music very quietly since 2019, when he first released that that track "Helen." Back, his music just feels good. It's a vibe. It's a combination of pop and hip hop with some sort of like ballady sort of elements. And he's just got a very sort of casual way of singing and writing his lyrics, and it's just it's something that you would like to simplify it probably in terms that it doesn't deserve to be simplified into. It's like something you'd hear on like the the Spider Verse soundtrack, like something like Miles Morales would jam to when he's like doing some art and whatnot. It's just got that sort of chill hop vibe to it, where it's just cool and hip and sweet and melancholy and sad and happy at the same time. And he's just got this incredible way of conveying the emotion of the song with simple lyrics and simple beats and melodies, but it just envelops you and it just it feels like a warm hug every time you listen to this album. It's just wonderful. So Pakar, the track is to open my heart off of his album Halo.
1: Amazing song. I like that you said pop with a hip hop feel. I kind of add in R&B to that, even though it's not necessarily a don't, please don't get me wrong. It's not an R&B track, but there's definitely hints of R&B in some of the vocal delivery and in some of the elements that are sprinkled throughout this track. This is a very unique and original, Sound.
2: Yeah. And I love it for that.
1: Yeah. It's hard to just say, this sounds like blank. Like when we say Greta Van Fleet, you could just tell somebody, oh, they kind of sound like Led Zeppelin. And, and when you play it, somebody listening can go, I can hear that. But with Bakar, you can't just say, well, he sounds like, and when you're drawing a blank, that means you have an original artist. Yeah. If you have to paint a picture of what this person's music's like by naming more than three or four different sounds, you're getting uniqueness and you get that here. But what I'm going to do now to close out the side, because this song's a little slower. It's a little bit more. It's bringing the tempo down a little bit. I'm going to bring the tempo down, but the energy up. God, if you told me in January that I'd be closing out side A of my 2023 songs of the year mix with the Rolling Stones, (laughs) I would not have believed you. But holy shit. And I don't curse often on this show. The first time I heard the Rolling Stones with Lady Gaga and Stevie Wonder's Sweet Sounds of Heaven, I played it six times in a row, and then I went online and said, it's 2023, and the Rolling Stones just released their best song they've recorded since the 1970s, and I will stand by that. Yeah. And it is so powerful. I am not the most massive Lady Gaga fan. I respect her. I think she's very talented. This song made me a fan of hers now. Mm. Like I'm in, she sings rock the way her and Mick Jagger, their voices were bouncing off each other. There's so much power. Then you add in Stevie wonder on the keys and oh my God, it's just amazing. And the song ends around the five minute mark for the radio cut. I'm not including the radio cut. Screw the radio cut. Absolutely. We're putting in the full seven plus minutes. Cause at the end, it's just a two minute jam. Yeah. Mick Jagger is 80 years old, 80 years old, and he sounds friggin' amazing. Keith Richards, who's gonna outlive all of us, <laughs> is playing. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna go out and say it's the best guitar solo he's ever done, but oh my God, this song is just incredible. And look, I give a little bit of flack to Andrew Watt as a producer. I was not the biggest fan of what he did with Ozzy's albums. I felt they were Mm -hmm. a little too slick, a little too much auto-tune, a little too overproduced. He let the Rolling Stones be the Rolling Stones. When I first heard that he was producing this album, I was really expecting a Ozzy Osbourne treatment to the Rolling Stones. Lots of auto-tune, lots of slick production. He didn't. And to me, this is Andrew Watts' best album in terms of production, and easily it's the Rolling Stones' best album since I'd go as far back as Tattoo You, maybe before that. So, closing out Side A, Rolling Stones, Lady Gaga, and Stevie Wonder,
2: Sweet Sounds of Heaven. I love the pick, and like you said, I love the production of this album, because the Rolling Stones are such a unique sound that trying to auto-tune and clean them up just wouldn't work, because it would just... It would rob the music of its essential essence, basically. Like, you'd be taking away what makes them unique and interesting and just fucking awesome.
1: Yeah, you'd be sanitizing down and dirty rock and roll and you don't do that.
2: Yeah, it would be like quantizing John Bonham's drums or something. Like, you'd you'd be taking away the the heart and soul of it. Like, John Bonham didn't play perfectly on time and it makes Led Zeppelin as a result. It's, It's wonderful. Mick Jagger being 80 years old and still hitting those notes, but singing in like this... You know, he's got that sort of like signature raspiness, that sassiness, that edginess, that rawness to his voice. And trying to clean that up would be awful. He would rob it of what's made him an enduring and beloved musician for all these decades. I love the track. And I know you said you're not a huge Lady Gaga fan, but even if you're not a huge Lady Gaga fan, you have to listen to this track and not only respect the talent and the range on display, but the fact that she never oversteps the boundaries of the duet.
0: Yes,
1: Lady Gaga in Sweet Sounds of Heaven is what Mary Clayton was in Gimme Shelter.
2: Yeah. And like she, you know, she did some music with Tony Bennett too. And she, whatever you think of her, whatever you want to say about her, she has a reverence for the big artists that came before her. And you can understand it from her. And she could have easily overpowered Mick Jagger if she wanted to. And everybody would have still thought it was fine. Um, Mick probably wouldn't because he's got an ego the size of the sun. But, uh, (laughs) but it's it's Mick Jagger and and Lady Gaga singing these duets and they're equals throughout the entire track. Like nobody is like singing over the other, no one's overpowering, nobody's trying to steal the spotlight. It's just this perfect fusion of these two vocal styles that just come together, like almost polar opposites in terms of what they're they're known for doing, but they come together so beautifully. And and Gaga is just masterful in knowing when to extend herself and put her talent on display and when to reel back because it's Mick Jagger's song. Like you don't you don't F with that. So it's a great track. And it's Stevie Wonder and Lady Gaga and the Rolling Stones. Like, that's, like, magical. That's insane. Like, that shouldn't be happening in 2023, but it is. It's fantastic. And I agree. It's a fun album. This is by far the best track on the album, I think. And that's not to sort of discount any of the other tracks on the album. And the fact that we got a brand new Rolling Stones album that's really, really good. And the fact that it's better than some of the music they were putting out back then is just uh, cyclical, I guess. I don't know. Everything comes full circle. It's... Like I said before, earlier in the in the episode, that so many of these bands in 2023 have chosen this year to make a comeback of sorts and just blow everybody's mind to be like, oh yeah, these guys are still really, really fucking good at what they're doing and what they've done for decades. And they're not slowing down at any point. Like they're still gonna like keep tearing it up for as long as they're they're on this earth.
1: Yeah, I think that's when the Rolling Stones would say they're not a
2: band anymore, is when they're just not here anymore. Exactly. No, they're gonna keep tour. they're gonna drop dead on stage. It's what's I hope gonna. Not. Happen. <laughs> I hope not too, but I, I feel like those guys are going to be on stage performing until they take their last breath. It's just who they are. It's in their blood. And yeah, it's just incredible to me that Mick Jagger still sounds as incredible as he did 20, 30 years ago. And, you know, like Keith Richards could take the easy route and be like, oh, I'm 125 years old. I'm just going to play some simple guitars." He's still shredding. Like, it's just, it's insane. I love the pick. I love the album perfect song to wrap this this first side up it's just fantastic
1: well that mixtapers concludes side a of our songs of 2023 mixtape which consists of the hives bogus Operende," white reaper's fog machine the last dinner party sinner alana springsteen with chris stapleton's ghost in my guitar the kills 103 Greta Van Fleet's The Falling Sky, Jenny Lewis's Psychos, The Struts, Pretty Vicious, Picard's To Open My Heart, and The Rolling Stones with Lady Gaga and Stevie Wonder, Sweet Sounds of Heaven. Head over to MyWeeklyMixTape.com to hear all the songs we've discussed in this mix through the playlist embedded on the episode page.
0: Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I wanna share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well. I could make a run to the store
1: Now, before we flip our proverbial mixtape over to Side B, I don't know about you, DT, but there were certain songs that came out in 2022 that I most certainly rocked all throughout 2023, the holdovers in quote marks, if you will. So if you had to choose a pair of songs, a cassette single, if you will, of 2022 songs that you rocked throughout the year, which two would they be?
2: I've got one obvious pick and one pick that probably nobody else has ever heard of that's going to throw everybody for a loop. So the first of which I desperately wanted to include this on my list. But I mean, if we were having this episode recorded in 2022, it'd be you know top of it for me. Uh, It was SZA. The album was SOS, just an incredible hip hop album. Mm -hmm. The track I would have chosen would have been Kill Bill. Just a gorgeous track and just a melancholy, just sort of... Again, I can't, I I I want to go back to the the notion of being like listening to the song and be like, damn, Cesar, are you are you okay? Like whatever <laughs> you're going through is is, you know, transferred itself onto this amazing track. But can I like buy you a beer and let you like cry on my shoulder for a little while? Like, what's going on? <laughs> the song is just it's a knife to the heart. It's gorgeous. It's it's haunting, it's beautiful, it's angry and sad at the same time. Obviously, it's got some maybe trigger warning content. But uh, if you're the one person on the planet who hasn't heard Kill Bill by SZA on the SOS album, check it out immediately. It's just, it's fantastic. I keep saying fantastic. It's cyclical.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We're turning this episode into a drinking game. Jeez.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And your other one. The second track is when you and I talked about garage rock bands in that sort of episode, uh, there was one band that I kind of talked about. Just briefly, because they, they obviously they weren't from the two thousands, but there's a band in Japan called Sakura Zensen that I really really love, and it's five kids from I think the Tokyo area, and they're just tearing it up. I think they may have broken up since they released this album, which is really sad, but uh, very much just in the vein of like loud punk rock, like garage rock sounds. They put an album in twenty twenty two called Odd Royo, and the track is Good Morning, and it just shreds. Like, if you go back and listen to their entire discography, it's just these five kids just making noise in like the most beautiful, harmonious and like logical way, but like contained chaos. And if you watch videos of their live performances on YouTube, the lead singer is climbing up onto like the subwoofers of the speakers and jumping off them or like climbing on the guitarist's shoulders while he's playing a solo, (laughs) like all kinds of ridiculous stuff. But the track is a banger. The whole album is great. The band is super high energy. I wish they would make it big so they can tour in the United States so I could be the one person who would go and see them. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, again, like those two picks for me are Sizzes Kill Bill off of SOS and uh, Zachary Sensen's Good Morning off of Odd Royal.
1: All right. Well, for my 2022 holdovers, I have one extremely upbeat song and one that's a little more introspective. Okay. Side A of that, the upbeat song I am going with from his self titled album, Young Blood and the Funeral. Nice. This song to me, when I first heard it, I did not know that Young Blood had gone kind of into the pop realm because I knew him for hip hop and other stuff he had done in the past. And when I listened to this song, I'm saying, What is this Billy Idol 80s sounding <laughs> tune? This is incredible. Yeah. And when I looked it up and saw it was Young Blood, I was all in on it, and I swear to you, I've probably listened to this song just as much as any other 2023 song throughout this whole year, and it's still just as fresh. It, again, I apologize, cyclical. It sounds like that 80s rock. It has that bravado about it, but it's so damn catchy. You you are literally singing the chorus along with him by the second time you hear the chorus, even if it's the first time you've heard the song. Yeah. Just unbelievable. And the second one's a little bit more serious, but I'm going to go off their Planet Zero album, and I'm going to go with Shinedown and A Symptom of Being Human. I had the chance to take my wife and kids to see Shinedown, Papa Roach, and Spirit Box at the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey. And when Shinedown played this song, I swear to you, I don't know why, but the person in front of me just started cutting onions and holding them right under my eyes because a symptom of being human is a song that kind of normalizes mental health. Yeah. you're not alone in this. Nobody is. And it's just such a powerful moment. They had all these white lights up around the stage and they asked everybody to turn their phones on. So it was just this glowing sea of white lights and my hair on my arms and goosebumps are starting as I'm telling the story. And I just sat there listening to the lyrics and taking it in, and I was overwhelmed by it. And I liked Planet Zero, and that song meant something to me. But once I saw it live, I've listened to that song more times in the last half of 2023 than I did all of 2022. The song has to be recognized. I love the fact that they're normalizing the anxiety and depression that people deal with because there's so many things going on. People don't ever take a moment to see what maybe somebody else is going through when they're just struggling. And a song like this really tries to, again, normalize it. And to me, that's a powerful thing. There's so many songs out there with negative messages and bad messages. I'm happy to see that people are embracing songs like this that embrace the fact that this is a struggle that a lot of us deal with. So it's a very powerful tune, obviously a lot slower in comparison to young blood, but I think a nice yin and yang for the 2022 holdovers for me.
2: Yeah, absolutely. i both picks. Yeah. Shine down rules. They kick ass, man. And I remember seeing you post the videos and stuff, that concert on your social media and me like banging along to it. Like it was awesome. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they were so great. And then Papa Roach opening up Papa Roach's 2022 album Ego trip Mm -hmm. is my holdover album for 2023. Nice. I've listened to that album probably a dozen times this year. It's not old from start to finish. I can't wait to see what they come up with next, but moving on to side B because we're going long already. We're going to jump right into it. Here's a band that if you told me in 2023, they would release a song with the same energy as 1983's Kill Them All, oh. I would have laughed in your face. <laughs> and Metallica did that on 72 seasons with the track Lux Eterna. It has the manic hit the lights energy. And to be honest, the reason I'm putting it here, given the what the first side looked like, if I don't start with this, there's no way I'm going to find a place for this song. <laughs> yeah. But honestly, this is Metallica at their thrash best. Metallica is in their 60s. James Hetfield is 60. If you told me that the Metallica I grew up with, Master Puppets, Ride the Lightning, Black Album, would still be putting out quality music in 2023, it's kind of hard to believe because those guys were going 110 miles an hour through the 80s. I'm happy they're still doing it. Yeah. And yes, Metallica doesn't put out albums often. Their last album was 2016's Hardwired to Mm Self-Destruct. Going by that, I can't talk about Metallica in a song of the year compilation until 2030. So I want to do it now. So Metallica, Luxie Turner from 72 seasons.
2: God bless James Hetfield's vocal coach, because the guy still sounds like he's 21 years old and screaming, right? Like you listen to this track and you hear him scream out, Luxie Turner. And it's like, how old are you? What? How did, How are you still doing this? It's insane.
1: I saw them at Giant Stadium this summer, and they did it live. And he absolutely crushed it.
2: I'm sure he did. Yeah, I've seen hundreds and maybe thousands of live videos of Metallica on the internet, and the man always sounds flawless. Like it's just incredible. But Turnout is just an awesome track. I love the pick to kick off this side of the of the mixtape. Yeah, I, I, I'm hard pressed to match that. Now, thanks, man. I, I
1: was going to say that's a <laughs> tough energy to unless you've got some metal picks in your bucket,
2: I know I'm kind of throwing a curveball here for okay. you. so I'm gonna match the energy in a weird way, okay? okay, okay. all right. so it's it's not like a hard rock like crazy speed metal like Lexi Turner type track, but it is a little manic, a little crazy, a little wild. And my pick is Perfect by JPEG Mafia and Danny Brown. So it's it's a rap track. It's a hip hop track. (laughs) And it's obviously, it's a weird thing to pivot from like a classic, you know, Metallica, you know, speed metal type of thing. But if we're keeping with that vibe and that energy and that manicness, that's what I'm going with. So if you're not familiar, JPEG Mafia, he was a kid who started out way back in the day as basically a homegrown producer. He was making his own like mixes and beats and whatnot. And He was trying to get out there and get noticed and he would play his stuff for people and people just didn't get it. So he's like, okay, well, F it. I'll be a rapper. (laughs) And it turns out he's a really fucking good rapper too. So he's been like quietly a part of the experimental hip hop scene for a long time, like two decades now. And he's been a producer and all kinds of stuff. And uh, he's been somebody that I've looked up to and really respected and listened to for a lot of years. And he's really kind of come on into his own and really sort of hit sort of kind of sort of mainstream fame within the last few years. And he became friends with Danny Brown, who I think is one of the most electric rappers of the last like 10, 15 years. I've seen live a couple of times. He puts on an amazing show. He's just got this manic, crazy. He sounds like he's trying to be immature, but he's just like all over the place, like just throwing you for a loop with both of his his vocal styling and his lyrics. And he's just insane to watch live and listen to on album. He's just all over the place in like a beautiful, awesome, kick-ass, like crazy, just dope way. And when the two of them became friends and they started throwing around the idea of doing an album together, I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be nuts. Like, this is just going to be the most unique and crazy hip hop album ever. And sure enough, they did it. They got together and they produced this album called, excuse my language, this is the title of the album, Scaring the (laughs) Hoes. And what it is, is just this smorgasbord of samples and beats and really clever rapid fire lyrics and these two just crazy rappers and lyricists just spitting back and forth to who I think is one of the best producers in the last 20 years, JPEG Mafia. And some people have almost called the album like too dense, like there's too much going on. But I think it's just a perfect distillation of Danny Brown's energy and his craziness. And JPEG Mafia's ability to sample and layer and craft a really, really dense and interesting and challenging hip hop song. This is not for the mainstream hip hop fans. Like this is straight up experimental stuff. This entire album samples everything from Famicom commercials from the 80s, like super like Nintendo commercials from Japan, to like Michael Jackson. One of the track samples in sync, and the track I've hmm. picked from this album, perfect. Actually, samples a classical composition by Richard Smallwood called Procession of the Levites. And it's these two crazy guys just going off and rapping to like this really, really sort of dramatic and epic classical composition. And it just works. And the entire album is just weird and strange and high energy and crazy and challenging and fantastic. If you haven't heard of JPEG Mafia or Danny Brown, like, I don't know if you should listen to this first, because it's just a distillation of their two styles of producing music together. And it may not make a whole lot of sense, but go listen to JPEG Mafia's LP. That's the name of the album. It's LP. And then go listen to everything Danny Brown has done, and then come back and listen to this so you'll be ready for it. But it is one of the most layered and nuanced and fun and interesting and experimental and weird, but ultimately genius hip hop albums I've heard in a really long time and perfect is almost interchangeable with every track on the album because they're all really, really great. But I had to pick one, so it's perfect.
1: Absolutely manic yeah, track. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is a song that I don't know how, but you've managed to capture the manic energy of a Metallica Thrash song <laughs> in hip-hop form. Right. So I am very impressed. Listening to this song, this is not the hip-hop that you hear on current Top 40 radio, the hip-hop no. songs that are popular. This is a lot different. This to me almost sounds like a modern day version of Paul's boutique by the beastie boys only maybe with an extra layer of insanity. So I think if you take your most manic ad rock moment and multiply it by (laughs) 10, you've got JPEG mafia and Danny Brown. So it's sometimes it's, it's not an easy album to digest if you don't know where they're coming from. Yeah. So I like the warning you gave with that, because if people go into this album thinking they're going to get a hip hop album the way 2023 hip hop has been, they're going to be thrown for a loop.
2: Yeah, in a good way. Whether they like it or not is
1: different. Yeah, I think in a good way as well.
2: Yeah, I think music should be just as much challenging as it is enjoyable. And I think me being honestly a self-professed music snob, I like stuff that I may not like the first time I listen to it. I like going back and challenging myself to listen to something and being like, Wait, what? What what the hell is this? There's a lot of that with JPEG Mafia. Like, he is very much in the realm of experimental hip hop. He is trying all kinds of weird stuff and just seeing what sticks. And Danny Brown has had such a weird, varied career where he's done straight up hip hop albums. He was part of a group back in the day that was very much in a line of like NWA and like your traditional hip hop groups and whatnot. He's done collaborations with churches, stuff all over the spectrum. Like, these are two musicians who love to challenge themselves and love to challenge their audience. And if you're there for it, if you're there ready to see what they've got to show you, you're going to really love it.
1: Absolutely. Now, coming out of that from Metallica. (laughs) Oh, Lord. I mean, there's nothing that I have left in my list that's going to match the energy. So I need to bring this down a little bit. However, Metallica is metal rock, if you want to call it that. JPEG Mafia and Danny Brown is hip hop. So I think I have a really weird way to connect the dots. This is like going from A to Q to go to B, but I think it'll make sense because this artist started out as a hip hop artist. Then he started incorporating rock elements into his sound. And then he toured with shinedown. But now.
2: Oh, okay. All right. You know where I'm going with this.
1: (laughs) He just won the CMA new artist of the year award. Yeah. Yeah. For country. So I'm finding a way to squeeze in a country song after a metal song and a hip hop song. So the ship is veering right now, but I think this makes sense because Jelly Roll was a hip hop artist that has evolved his sound to include more rock and country vibes. And Witsit Chapel is an amazing album. And being somebody who went to a Catholic high school growing up, need a favor spoke to me in a very big way so when you think about the lyrics to the song i only talk to god when i need a favor and i pray when i ain't got a prayer so who the hell am i to expect a savior i only talk to god when i need a favor but god i need a favor and the video for it is so gut-wrenching yeah this man has been through a lot. He has been to hell and back in his life. He has been on the wrong side of the tracks and he has righted his personal ship. And when he won the CMA awards, he actually put out a statement that to me, I thought was very prolific. And it's one that I'm going to probably take with me moving forward because he said, I want to tell you, it's going to be okay. I want to tell you that the windshield is bigger than the rear view mirror for a reason. Because what's in front of you is so much more important than what's behind you. Love that. That is some preacher level stuff that just resonated with me so much. And this song, it is so memorable. And I think it's more for the lyrics. As much as I love his voice and I love the music and I love the song, Mm -hmm. I think the message of this song is what really resonated with me at the end of the day. So Jelly
2: Rolls need a favor great pick. I love the track. He's a blast. He's just fun. (laughs) Like I, I dug him as a rapper beforehand and I like it when artists challenge their audiences by switching genres like that just for the hell of it. And the fact that he did it so effortlessly and is like kicking ass and like winning awards as a country musician now. It's like when Taylor Swift went from being a country musician to like a straight up pop musician and everybody just kind of followed her over and it all just kind of worked. The dude is like versatile. He's got a lot going on. Like you said, He's had some life experiences, and he translates all that experiences into his music, and you you see it in a genuine way. The song could very easily, in someone else's hands, come off as disingenuous and cheap and kind of lame, but it's heartfelt and honest, and that's what gets me about this track the most.
1: Yeah, you know he means this when he sings it. Yeah. There's nothing disingenuous about it, and to me, that's what it speaks volumes. Yeah. So now this ship is going metal, hip-hop, country. You could go anywhere with this, honestly.
2: Um, I I I know where I'm gonna go with it, but I don't know how to define it. How do you define Sparks? Like, what what genre is Sparks? Oh new boy. Age, pop? Like, I, I don't know. But again, this is another band that has been around forever, and they put out a new album in 2023, and it rocks, and it's just as awesome and kick ass as everything they've done beforehand. Like I said earlier in the episode, if you haven't listened to Sparks before, go and and check out the documentary by Edgar Wright, who did Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and whatnot. He did a really, really beautiful and honest and heartfelt and just killer documentary on these two brothers who have been musicians for about as long as I've been alive. And they've put together album after album after album without ever having like really crazy mainstream success. But they're also like a direct influence on everybody in a weird way. <laughs> you you listen to this documentary and you've got people like Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers saying like, yeah, you talk to any musician in like a bar or a party And the conversation inevitably goes to Sparks. And most people are like, who the hell is Sparks? But anybody who knows and loves music is like, fuck yeah, Sparks. (laughs) (laughs) And it's these two brothers and their music is very eccentric and very strange and very weird. And on the surface level, it seems really kind of simplistic and goofy and silly and dishonest, but there's a nuance to it and like an irony to it that I've just loved forever. And the track I picked is off their new album, and that album is The Girl is Crying in Her Latte, and the track is Not That Well Defined. So Sparks is interesting. And again, I I don't think I'm following the vibe anymore. I think I've gone fully off the rails with this one. <laughs>
1: because there's Actually, an- I'm going to challenge that. Yeah? I think you're riding the ship a little bit because sparks does fit in with side a a little bit okay so yeah, i feel yeah. like you're kind of like let's bring back side a's vibe into this and instead of swinging like a pendulum we're kind of now just kind of teetering back to where side a was we've kind of righted it back to where that sound worked really well
2: okay yeah because I- we did we we had uh the last dinner party early on in inside one and now mm-hmm. we're like circling right back to one of their obvious main influences so okay okay all right cool thanks i feel better about this well Um, it's
1: funny because you had said when you mentioned them you're like i don't know how to define this next band Uh, it says it right in the damn title not that well defined
0: but they are
2: that well (laughs) defined but i mean yeah i mean it's it's hard to say what sparks is but if you know sparks you get it
1: you get it but again even if someone who gets it how do you define it yeah it's the, like to me, it speaks to the name a little bit.
2: Fair. Yeah. Uh, not that well defined by Sparks. It's three minutes and 30 seconds of this really grandiose and theatrical and silly and irreverent, but also like a band that carries a lot of gravitas at the same time in a weird way. They're most grandiose. Like they've got a full orchestra behind them in this track. And the lyrics are just amazing. It's like you're not that well defined, you're like a contract that's left unsigned. And the lyrics just, they seem like surface level, like really shallow and whatnot. But if you listen to the context of the song, it's biting and jabbing and catty. And it's been Sparks their entire career where you think like they're just writing like a fun, silly song, but it's got this twinge of irony and depth to it. And that's just Sparks where it's like, if you take them at their surface level, you're going to bop to it. It's fun. But if you really pay attention, like these guys are geniuses and they're like throwing everybody for a loop just because they can. And they've been doing it for like 40 years Go listen to the track. Go listen to the whole album. The album is phenomenal. And if you're good with that, go and listen to their entire discography because it's wild and crazy. And you will pick up influences on modern bands from Sparks that are there despite the fact that nobody knows who Sparks is. It's so weird. It is the (laughs) weirdest thing in the world that everybody's influenced by Sparks, but nobody knows who they are. It's just crazy to me. But the track is super fun. They're super fun. They're very theatrical and silly and goofy but they know exactly what they're doing. It's very, very strategically engineered, like their sound and their persona and their performances. It's really neat to watch, actually. It's fascinating.
1: Well, I think you've said everything that could be said about Sparks. (laughs) And coming out of that, I mean, you've really thrown me a middle finger here because I don't even know where to go from here. But I think because we said that it kind of fit with the side A vibe, I'm going to lean into that a little bit. Okay. And I'm going to go with a song that I know would fit perfectly on side A. But I think because of the vibe, this actually works. This is a band whose last album was released in 2000. And the album was called Ready, Sex, Go.
2: Oh, all right. Yeah. And
1: they are back this year with their first album in 23 years. It's another and that one of those is, bands. Yeah. Yes. The Marvelous Three and the album is called Four. Butch Walker, you and I talked about on episode 32 in Garage Rock. He had a great solo career from 2000 until still does. He Mm -hmm. still does. And he's an amazing producer, but he got the band back together and they put out a new album and it is unbelievably amazing. If you liked Marvelous 3 from Freak of the Week and Sugar Buzz and all the different songs they put out up until 2000. They picked up right where they left off. And the song I'm going to go with, I think, to get as close to the not that well defined vibe is a tune called Growing All My Hair Out. Mm. It's just got this drive to it. It is anthemic.
2: Yes. And totally. big.
1: And it's one of those songs where it's a very creative song structure. And it's Butch kind of taking a little bit of his elements from his solo career and kind of merging it with the marvelous three sound, So this one, I feel like if Butch was doing a solo show would fit in perfectly, but by giving the guitars a little bit more of that edge, it works perfectly for marvelous three. So following up sparks marvelous three growing all my hair out.
2: I love the track. I love the band and I love the album. This is another band. That's like a blast from the past. that came out of nowhere with a new album and just haven't missed a beat. I remember the song Freak of the Week. And what album was that? I Was was it Hey Album? Hey yeah, Album, Yeah, great album. And I remember listening to that. And shit, it must have been like 97, 98. Mm-hmm. It was a great, great album. I really dug it. And that song in particular, the one that you listed off growing all my hair out, is almost like a continuation of the vibe of that era, but also like a love letter to it. And one of the things I picked up on the song and one of the things I really like about it is the fact that it's anthemic, like you said, but also maybe it's just me reading into it and my own sense of nostalgia got a little bit of like a melancholy to it where like this was a great era to grow up and like be a musician and be a kid and like hang out and do all the things. And you kind of don't want to leave that. So like you're still hanging out at the bar, and like doing all the things kind of sort of great track, though. I, I love the track, love the band. I'd love seeing that band come out of nowhere with a new album and just kick ass. And yeah, one of the bands that was heavy in my rotation in the 90s. And this album has been heavy in my rotation this year, too. It's wonderful.
1: From out of nowhere, man. That's like, just like you had said earlier with the hives, it's just kind of like, wait, what? They're back? Right. Exactly.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And I'm
1: all here for it. Stick around. Do both Butch Walker and Marvelous 3. Keep them both going. So now we've got the second half of Side B, and we're back to you for track six.
2: Okay. So modern artists, but also kind of a throwback sound. My next pick is off the Barbie album (laughs) from the movie that, uh, you know, took this year by Absolute Storm. This is an artist who's taken this year by Storm too, who took last year in 2021 by Storm as well. It is Dua Lipa. The track is Dance the Night. Mm -hmm. We're kind of weaving and bobbing a little bit. We're going from rock to pop. But holy crap, dude. Like just the fact that the movie was such a huge smash hit and just kind of took over the cinemas this year. How could you not have at least one track off that album on the best of 2023, especially when it was one of those banging and awesome pop songs of the year? I am an unabashed lover of pop music. I think Dua Lipa is just top of the heap right now. I think she's setting the world on fire. As of right now, she just put out another single called Houdini, which is fantastic. I adore her. I love her music. I love the vibe. I'm not a dancer. I can't help but dance every time that lady comes on the radio. I am making an ass of myself in rush hour traffic listening to this track. It's just great. It's just so much fun. It's just a no-nonsense dance track. She's talking about her house might be burning, but she'll never see it on her face because there's never a hair out of place. She's just dancing the night away, and it's just awesome. It's a great vibe. It's one of the best like dance anthems I've heard in a long time, and I think it's probably the best one of
1: 2023. The Barbie album, huh? The, right? Yeah. Like I, I, I'm Look, I'm shocked. You like When you said, I'm going to go with Barbie the album... I was just waiting for you to say Ryan Gosling's I'm Just Ken. <laughs> because I'll tell you right now, my kids, that's their favorite song of the year. Really? They, every yeah. time it comes on, they were singing it so loud in the car the other day, I honestly thought I was having an aneurysm. I didn't know what was happening. <laughs> they love it so, so much. And I've seen the movie with them, and they sang it just as loud. <laughs> and obviously, the music throughout that entire soundtrack, because, you know, I've got two girls, obviously, we own the soundtrack. It's ridiculous between Tame and Paula. Lizzo's song is really catchy. Haim's song is good. Ice Spice's Barbie World is good. Charlie XCX's Speed Drive is good. I mean, it is just a fantastic album. Yeah. And heck, even the, we have the extended, expanded edition that has Ryan Gosling's cover of uh, Push by (laughs) by (laughs) Max 20. That's awesome. Uh, I honestly, when you were saying the Barbie soundtrack, I thought you were going to go to I'm Just Ken, but- Man, Dance the Night. I'm almost tempted to continue down the pop road. Uh Uh-oh. But I only have two picks left. Mm -hmm. And there's two albums I need to get in. So I'm going to stretch here a little bit. Okay. And I'm going to go with the theme of dance. Okay. Only it's not the genre of dance. Although you could dance to it. So maybe it is. But this would be pop punk dance. And here's another band that dropped an album and... I don't want to say from out of nowhere, because they toured this whole year back together once again. But I'm going to bring Blink-182 into the conversation. Okay. And we're going to dance the night right into Dance With Me from their 2023 album One More Time.
2: <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh because it's a great pick. I'm just remembering how that, that song starts.
1: Yes. And following Dua
2: Dance The Night with the intro to... Wow, that's awesome!
1: <laughs> yeah, the the way uh, Dance with Me starts, I would just say if you are with kids in the car, you probably shouldn't have been listening to this episode at this point, considering the f bombs that have been throughout. But regardless, yeah. if you're still listening, when you play the playlist <laughs> over at myweeklymixtape.com, dot com, I would just lower the volume for about the first six seconds of the song and then kick it up, just like Young Blood's The Funeral. This song has a very Billy Idol-esque punk sound to it. Absolutely, yeah. I'm not the biggest fan of Travis Barker's production on the album. I feel like it's a little overly compressed and very loud. But at the end of the day, the songs on this album are amazing. I talked about Cactus Pete earlier in the night, mentioned one more time. I could have easily included that if we were kind of dipping down to a slower moment, but coming out of Dance the Night, I couldn't go into that. So, Dance with Me is one of those songs that you are up dancing and singing along. It is one of the most infectious Blink 182 choruses, maybe ever. And I'll say this Tom's voice has gotten better. Yeah. Now that he's back, he's older and it's a little more raspy, a little more gravelly, and a little less. Nasally, kind of nasally, yeah, (laughs)
2: Yeah.
1: where it actually fits the music even better than it was on the Neighborhoods album. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy to see them back together. I feel bad for Matt Skiba. I think they should have made it maybe a four piece, but it is what it is. Blink 182 is back. And I couldn't not talk about Dance With Me because I have rocked that song since the first time I heard it. I'm like, now that's what I'm talking about. Edging is another good one that they put out last year that I've played throughout the whole year, but Dance With Me, the first time I heard it, I'm like, oh yeah, that's on my list.
2: Yeah, no, that ole, 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 like that's so catchy, like it is a dance tune, like it's a pop punk tune, but you can dance to it for sure. Mm-hmm. I can see people just bop into it in, in the shows for sure out in the pit for, yeah, absolutely. It's a great album, it's a great pick. I agree that Tom DeLonge's vocals have matured, and I think he's a better like match for Mark Hoppus's vocals now. I was always of the mind, and I always grew up obviously in high school when Blink 182 hit it big, loved them back in the day. But there was always sort of a weird dichotomy between the two vocalists. And now that they've gotten older, they've kind of settled into like a, a level. And I think you're right. I think it's a maturity and an evolution of the music that I really appreciate. And it's not a betrayal of what made them famous in the first place. It's still really fun pop punk. You can get up and skank to it and jump around to it and, you know, drive a shopping cart through a drive through McDonald's too, or something, you know? <laughs> All the stupid shit we were doing in the 90s when we were kids and whatnot. But yeah, it's a great pick. I do agree that it's a little overproduced, but I mean, Blink-182 was one of those weird bands where I don't think it's a betrayal of their sound to kind of a little bit overproduce our albums. I have never no. seen them as sort of like rancid or like any of those type of like punk bands where the rawness of it and sort of the edginess and the shitty recording of it was part of the package.
1: The only one that comes even close is Cheshire Cat, and that went out on Cargo, which was an indie label. So anything from their major label on, I completely get what you're saying.
2: Yeah. They are a mainstream pop punk band, and I think it's okay for them to be a little bit more polished than other bands that sort of skirt the same genre. They're they're not in the same vein. I, I do consider them more like pop punk than like punk rock, and I think they've always been that way. So the overproduction, a little grading at times, a little much at times maybe, but- I don't think it's a betrayal of what blink one 2 has always been, and what they are is not a bad thing. I'm not one of those people who are like, oh, they're a bunch of effing sellouts. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, you become a musician to get with girls, to make a lot of money, and to tour the country and like have fun, and that's what they've done their entire careers, and I don't begrudge them for that at all.
1: And it is a absolute Travis Barker drumming masterclass. Oh, absolutely. Some of the songs on this new album, I sat there and turned to my wife and said, if any other drummer was playing on this song, this would be a throwaway track. But I said, just listen to the nuances that Travis is throwing into this song to make it complex and make it interesting and keep your attention. Little fills and little hi-hat nuances that he's just kind of... And it's so effortless. And he makes the most simplistic Blink-182 songs amazing. Yeah, And I truly feel that if Travis Barker did not join Blink-182, they would not be at the level they are.
2: Well, that's kind of the fun irony of Blink-182 is that the drummer is by far the best musician in the band. That's kind of Blink-182 in a nutshell. Like the drummer is the best musician in the band. There are a bunch of guys who've just had a blast and had fun just messing around their entire careers. And that's great. That's awesome.
1: So what are you going to come out of dance with me and dance the night with?
2: Um, I'm gonna make everybody cry. <laughs> I'm gonna bring it down way low. We're gonna go, we're gonna, we're gonna just move away from the dance vibe. We're gonna get right down to the box of Kleenex and a, you know, a box of chocolates and maybe a nice bubble bath with some bath bombs and, you know, some candles and whatnot. So it is, I'm um, just Ken. Exactly. No, <laughs> oddly <laughs> enough, it is actually from the Barbie album once again. And I didn't plan this, <laughs> but I mean, holy crap, it's, it's, Billie Eilish. like Anytime Billie Eilish releases anything, it's automatically going to be one of the best songs of the year. She's had a quiet year, aside from being a part of this massive soundtrack, which was tied to this massive movie. The track is What Was I Made For? And it's beautiful and haunting and gorgeous and amazing. And here's the thing is, Greta Gerwig makes an existential comedy about the plastic doll. (laughs) (laughs) everybody wants to work with her she's got this amazing talent both in front of and behind the camera and the musicians who jumped on board to be a part of the soundtrack was no exception Billie eilish is one of the best musicians and best singers on the planet right now she's one of the most nuanced and talented and layered and mature beyond her years and this song is all of that for a song that was made for a comedy this song does not need to be this good Billie eilish always knows the assignment And she doesn't shoot for the a plus she shoots for beyond that like she's going for extra credit she's going for like the 4.2 GPA. you ask her to write a bond (laughs) song and she's gonna be the best part of that bond movie like it's just incredible this track is sad and tragic and beautiful and haunting and wonderful and just displays maturity beyond her years i think she's probably half my age and she's probably twice as world traveled and more more mature and <laughs> intelligent than I am. And this song is wonderful and it's sad. And it's about thinking you knew your place in this world and having that carpet ripped out from underneath your feet and free falling and not knowing what to do next. And there's a line in the song that sticks with me and it's, I'm sad again. Don't tell my boyfriend it's not what he's made for. And up to that point, the entire song is about what is she made for? Like, why is she here? And the fact that everything she's... The, obviously, the character that she's you know she's writing about in the song—it's—it's it's not necessarily her herself and her her life experiences, but the fact that in that one line, the song shifts from "What was I made for? What am I doing? I used to be happy. I don't remember how to be happy." That one line is like a realization that everything that is built up around her in this life, whoever's speaking in terms of you know the, being the character in the song is realizing that there's no stability anywhere. The boyfriend doesn't know how to handle somebody who isn't happy all the time because this person has pretended to be happy their entire life and can't do it anymore. And is just struggling to figure out what their place is in the world, what they're supposed to be doing. And do they want to try and recapture that happiness and go along with what they've been doing their entire lives? Or do they want to embrace this sadness and, and follow it through and figure out who they really are? And holy shit, this is a song written for a Barbie movie. And I know the the movie is about (laughs) existentialism and like self-discovery and whatnot, but holy crap, Billie Eilish, please don't ever stop doing 210% at all times. You're incredible
1: amazing track i I obviously i mean you broke the rule of pulling two from the same album however it's different artists they
2: were released separately as singles so i allowed myself i will
1: will give you the bravo on the loophole i love it um i honestly was a little disappointed you didn't go with i'm just ken because (laughs) (laughs) but honestly coming out of Billie eilish is what was i made for because i think you basically said everything that needs to be said about that song so perfectly that I don't know what I would add to it. You hit the nail on the head. Hmm. There's two songs left. We each have one and I have two songs that I want to put in this spot and I'm going to gamble and go with one that I didn't plan on closing with in hopes that you'll close with the other song that I'm holding in my pocket. Okay. No pressure. You have no idea what that
2: song is, but probably not. I mean, I've had my, my final song ready for, this is the one song I'm not like just riffing on. Like, this is the one song, like when you approached me about doing the the best of 2023, I was like, okay, I got to end with this one. I have to. So, okay.
1: So it's, I'm just Ken. So let me think of how I'm going <laughs> to <laughs> No, but coming out of the serious vibe that you were talking about mm-hmm. in what was I made for very melancholy. Very, I want to think I'm going to hone in on that. And I want to bring us to a bigger place to close out. And I think the only way we can do that is by going with a song that's a touch over 10 minutes of just heartbreak mm. and power and emotion all rolled up in one. One of the hardest albums for me to listen to for the year. I mean, the lyrics on this album moved me to tears several times during the listen And I love this band so much. And I don't know if I'll be able to go back and listen to this album over and over again. Because it just hits too hard. And obviously the loss of Taylor Hawkins Mm. and David Grohl's mother shine through on this track. But I am bringing in the Foo Fighters from their album. But here we are. I'm going with the teacher. The ending of that song where he just yells out goodbye. And there's all this massive moment. I mean, it's just so powerful and so gut-wrenching. And the film that they have on YouTube is just so emotional. I know this is kind of bringing things a little bit down coming from Billie Eilish, but it's also a big song. And it's a song that I could foresee the Foo Fighters playing 10 years from now. Yeah. Because it's an epic love letter to two people that were loved very dearly. Yeah. And... I can't think of a bigger... Well, I can think of one other way, and I'm really hoping you and I are ESPN or whatever it is on the same wavelength here, but I am going to follow up Billie Eilish's What Was I Made For with Foo Fighters, The Teacher, from But Here We Are.
2: That is an awesome pick. It's tragic and epic and encompassing and so much going on with this track and this album in general. Yeah, obviously, the passing of Taylor Hawkins was a shock and a blow to everybody. And that resonates with this entire album. And I think this album was was needed as catharsis for everybody yeah. who obviously was involved with the band and, and needed to sort of not move on from but understand heal. and heal from the passing yeah. of, of their brother. And you feel that throughout this track. What's interesting to me about this track is the fact that it, it almost feels like a full circle encompassing of the Foo Fighters discography, if that makes sense. It's mm-hmm. Up to a certain point. Like the very beginning of the track reminds me of like the title track from In Your Honor, just so that mm-hmm. the, uh, that very, very resonating, heavy guitar riff in the very beginning, and then it kind of speeds up and slows down and speeds up and slows down, and it becomes complex and simplistic, and it's just this epic sort of roller coaster ride of emotions. And I don't know if Dave Grohl and, and the boys wrote it to be the way I perceived it, but it does feel like almost like a fast-forwarding through several Foo Fighter albums, And maybe they did write it that way because it's sort of a a culmination of all their memories with Taylor Hawkins and, you know, all the memories they have with him and all the music they wrote together up until the point where they've got to continue on as as both people and a family and musicians and try and find a way to move on without him being there every day. But it's a beautiful track. It's a track that is 10 minutes long, but it feels like it's three minutes long because there's just so much going on. It's so succinct and well-written and beautiful that i i mean i've listened to it that's the one track i go back to over and over again from that album and it's a beautiful album it is a hard album to listen to but the epicness of that song just brings me back over and over again because it's it there's just so much going on there and the heart of it is heartbreak and sadness and loss and that sort of thing going on but there's also a little bit of hope and desire to move on and heal and become better and find some sort of understanding and acceptance and I don't think the Foo Fighters get enough credit for being able to convey those types of emotions in their song. They get a lot of flack from people who aren't diehard fans for being like dad rock. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. Dave Grohl puts himself into every song he writes. Like he he doesn't write superfluous, like surface level rock songs. The one thing you can say about Foo Fighters, whatever song it is, whether you like them or not, is that it's honest and genuine, and it comes from a place of life experience. They're not just writing lyrics that sound cool or whatever. It's shit that Dave Grohl is actually processing as he's writing each album. And this track is a culmination of that. And it's a tough listen, but it's a beautiful listen, and it's an honest listen. And yeah, I think it follows up from Billie Eilish's What Was I Made For? brilliantly, because I'm sure those guys were asking themselves the same question. Any one of us at any time could depart this mortal coil and leave this earth. And what are we here for? What are we leaving behind? What are we teaching the people that we've been involved in the lives of? And what sort of legacy are we leaving? Mm -hmm. Not all of us have the luxury of being a multi-platinum musician who has like 20 (laughs) years of music to leave behind as a a sort of immortality. But every one of us, especially I'm going to turn 40 in a month. And I'm all over the place in terms of nostalgia and thoughts of like friends and family, both current and past. And i'm going to be in the future and who i'm growing into because we're always growing but yeah i mean life is a process and the foo fighters have this beautiful knack of writing songs that convey the idea that life is a process and you're always growing and you have to be thinking about the past while also thinking about the future and you can't let the one way the other one down and i think that's what this album was it was looking to the future and continuing to write music and continuing to do what they love and, and will enjoy doing for the rest of their lives, but also honoring you know the people that came before them, the people that they've lost. And it's not just Taylor Hawkins. You still see twinges of Nirvana and whatnot in Foo Fighter albums. And mm-hmm. Dave Grohl doesn't get enough credit for, and the band in general doesn't get enough credit for writing songs that are honest and just like a journal, basically. So, yeah, yeah, and
1: I, look, I, I, well, right now I'm fixated on the fact that you're only turning 40 because I just, <laughs> I just went into the second half of my 40s. So <laughs> I, I said to, I said to my wife, "I'm like, well, I haven't hit." 47 and a half yet so i won't tell people i'm in my late 40s i could still say mid 40s so i'm kind of jealous i'm not gonna lie but
2: yeah i'm just gonna say i'm in my really really late 30s (laughs) really late 30s
1: (laughs) (laughs) what i will say about this song is this song to me for 2023 fits in more of the time capsule esque nature of this mixtape yeah than it does the let's rock out to the songs of 2023 this is a song that 20 years from now, I want people that listen back to this episode to remember this song because it's such an important, powerful statement, but it's not the song to jam out with your buddies too. It's very introspective yeah. and powerful yeah. and emotional. So it's kind of a weird twist that we're going towards the end of the side. And I'm very curious how you're going to wrap up all of 2023 in a bow, because if you follow up with, I'm just, Ken, I am deleting the rest of the night. <laughs> uh
2: so my next pick. No offense, um, Ryan. Yeah, so my next pick is uh, it's off the Barbie album. Uh it's <laughs> it's Ryan Gosling. Uh the, <laughs> no, um actually, I mean, this for me is an obvious pick. I don't think you can close out 2023 without talking about this song. Uh it's very much in the same vein of the time capsule and reflection and thinking about the past and the present and the future and you know, people you've lost and just thinking about how you've become the person you become based on the people who have sort of populated your life along the way. Uh, it's the Beatles now and then. Like, oh, thank God. Okay, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was my pick. I just I was yeah. afraid. Like, if I threw it out at nine, where would you go from there?
2: Right, right. Because yeah.
1: really, like, where? But but go ahead. I, I, I think this is perfect,
2: song. though, because you you picking that Foo Fighters song and the meaning behind that song, and the fact that this is. Essentially being called the last Beatles song ever. And for it now, was, well, yeah, we'll see what happens. Paul McCartney and Enrico <laughs> Starr, yeah, they're always tooling around, but it was originally recorded in 1977. It was a demo that, you know, they just kind of messed around with for a while. And it, it's kind of set And it's been approached like over the decades as being a project that they might come back to. At one point, they were actually going to restore it if they could and include it as part of the Beatles anthology project like mm-hmm. 20 years ago or whatever. Uh, yeah. 1985, I think. But it was a song that they'd recorded in 1977, and the demo, is it was just garbage. There was no way to really do anything with it at the time or decades afterwards. But in a weird twist of fate, Peter Jackson, the guy who directed the Lord of the Rings movies, was working on a Beatles documentary, and his company developed technology uh, to use machine learning to use... I don't want to say AI, because it's not really AI, but use systematically a way of extracting Lennon's vocals and cleaning them up. So all of a sudden, this song that's been threatened to be dug up, but has never really come to fruition for 40 years, 50 years, has now been released in 2023. And it's Lennon's original vocals cleaned up. It's guitar tracks that George Harrison actually recorded in 1995 that have been restored. And it's Paul McCartney singing today and Ringo Starr playing drums today. In a weird sort of like time travel reunion, where the four of them actually got to release one final song together, it's haunting because of that context, but also the fact that it's a really beautiful Beatles song. I know it's it's funny to say like oh it's a really beautiful Beatles song because all their songs are fucking beautiful, but it's a haunting song about recognition of people in your life that have helped you along the way. It's like if I make it through, it's because of you, you know, like that that type of thing. It's an amazing track and it's historic and weird at the same time because like you're listening to vocals that are like from 1977 that have been fixed and repaired and sound really good thanks to Peter Jackson and his engineers for doing that. And it's a track that has just such a weird, bizarre history of 40 plus years. At one point Jeff Lynn from Electric Like Orchestra was going to be a producer on the track and that never came through. And then they found a new producer to do it who has actually worked with other Beatles tracks and restorations and whatnot before then. So it's a song that could not have existed until today, and it could not have been a culmination of the talents of those four musicians who are so influential and so iconic to come together one more time without the technology we have today. And it's the one brilliance and amazing and wonderful use of AI that I will allow. <laughs>
1: I was just going to say... People talk about AI all the time, and it's been a huge conversation in 2023. And when I first heard this song, I said, okay, I'll allow it. They used it as a tool. Yes. They did not say into a computer, AI, create us a new Beatles song. Right, exactly. This was written by the Beatles, and yes, it was considered a quote-unquote throwaway back in 1977. They never completed it. Right. The humor I find in that is that what was to John Lennon in 1977, a possible throwaway is one of the best songs in 2023.
2: Yeah. And not just because of the history and the context, like it's a really beautiful song.
1: It really is. Uh, The fact that they thought it wasn't good enough to me is a whole nother rabbit hole. I can go down, but this is the type of song that it's a moment. The ending of that music video just gutted me, but in a peaceful, happy way. It was like, When I was born, this cassette was just recorded. 1977. (laughs) Here we are 46 years later and they found a way to finish the job. And it's done with such love and care. Yeah. And the video showing them playing together, even though it's old footage, was so masterfully done by Peter Jackson. And again, the ending where it just fades on the instruments and it's just the instruments on stage was just so poetic, such a perfect exclamation point on the Beatles' legacy. Yeah. If you told me January 1st, 2023 that you and I would end a Songs of 2023 mixtape with the Rolling Stones on side A and the (laughs) Beatles on side B, I would have laughed you out of the room.
2: (laughs) Right? Yeah.
1: But, like the Foo Fighters album is titled, But Here We Are. Yeah. And I'm all here for it. Yeah. Well, that, folks, concludes side b of our songs of 2023 mixtape which consists of metallica's "Lux eterna jpeg mafia with danny brown's perfect jelly rolls need a favor sparks not that well defined marvelous threes growing all my hair out dua lipa's dance the night blink 182's dance with me Billie eilish what was i made for foo fighters hot for teacher and the Beatles now and then. Head over to myweeklymixtape.com to hear all the songs we've discussed in this mix through the playlist embedded on the episode page. Now, normally, this would be the part of the show where we start winding things down, but it's the end of the year episode and they always go big or go home. And we're going to do the same here. We've talked about all our favorite songs of the year. We talked about our 2022 holdovers. Everyone mentioned there, so it's time to mention ours. What is your album? of the year
2: 2023 oh uh, it's the death of randy fitzsimmons by the hives (laughs) it is oh it was such a surprise and such a delight and they're my favorite band and for them to just drop an album randomly with a kick-ass opening single and a great video oh my god the video is great it's such a great throwback to like sam raimi like evil dead horror movies and i just felt like i was 20 years younger listening to this album discovering the hives for the first time and just Completely taken back. Like I said, it's a crazy, like garage rock, hard rock song. And I started tearing up because it was like going back in time. It was like a time capsule, like a time machine for me. It was just amazing. The whole album is a banger. It feels like a full culmination of their entire discography and them growing as musicians, but not moving away from that sound at the same time. Like there are tracks that feel like they're from Tyrannosaurus Hives or. Vinny, Viti Vicious, but like updated and more mature and more layered because they've grown as musicians and they're better musicians now. But yeah, man, that album shook me <laughs> in a great way. And it moves me like literally, like I can't listen to the album without air drumming and air guitaring. And I picked up my bass guitar and I learned half the songs on the album already. And it's just, God, it was just, it was just such a great surprise for this year.
1: Absolutely love the album. Unfortunately, it's not my pick. That's fair. But I get it. It's up there. It's definitely in my top. I obviously had the song picked for my list in my bucket, but you kicked us off with it. For me, I have to give a quick shout out to three albums because my musical tastes are so all over the map. Before I pick my album of the year for country, Chris Stapleton's higher. Nice. Hands down for rock and metal Metallica's 72 seasons and for pop and dance. It's Ava Max's diamonds and dance floors. Ooh. But my album of the year, I can't believe I'm saying this. The Rolling Stones, Hackney Diamonds. Yeah. At the end of the day, here's an album that stands up to some of their 70s best stuff Mm -hmm. in 2023. This album features Bite Your Head Off, which is the first collaboration between the Rolling Stones and a member of the Beatles. To me, that is so amazing because for decades it's always been, who's better? The Beatles or the Rolling Stones, the Beatles or the Rolling Stones, the Beatles or the Rolling Stones. Here we are in 2023. We ended our sides with the Rolling Stones and the Beatles. And this album in no way, shape or form had any reason to be as good as it is. I saw Andrew Watt was producing it. I was expecting an overproduced pop version of the Rolling Stones. And he blew my mind with this one. And If this is the final Rolling Stones album, they went out with, pardon the pun on their old album, the biggest bang they could possibly go (laughs) out with, because this is up there with some of their best ever. So the Rolling Stones, Hackney Diamonds album of the year, would not have thought I would be saying that on January 1st for sure.
2: Yeah, I agree with it. I love it. It's crazy that they're so legendary and they could so easily rest on their laurels and put out a new album and just be like, here's a new album. You're going to love it regardless. But for it to be as goddamn good as it is, like they didn't have to put the effort they did into it, but it is a really, really good Rolling Stones album. It's one of their best albums ever. And the fact that they put it out in 2023 at their age when they didn't have to, they weren't beholden to put forth this effort and did it anyway, just is honestly, it's a credit to them and their their passion for what they do.
1: And it's also the last album that will feature the core members of the rolling stones. Cause Charlie yeah. Watts is on some of the tracks. There's just so many amazing things about this album. I can go on and on and on, but instead of going on and on and on about that, why don't you go on and on and on about space castle and where the mixtapers can find your amazing YouTube channel full of amazing nerd content.
2: Well, thank you for calling it amazing. Uh, you can find me on youtube.com slash at space castle show, Thanks again to YouTube for making those new URLs really confusing and hard Mm -hmm. to articulate. It's me in front of a green screen out in deep space doing all kinds of weird things where I try and host a discussion about some pop culture topic that I've pulled out of thin air and also tell like a zany, crazy story at the same time. Uh, I have a blast doing it. I put out a new episode every other week because they take a long time to produce. And uh, I hope everybody who's listening takes a gander at it and enjoys it and finds something they like. And We'll come back and check it out often because I'm having a blast doing it. And one of the most fun things about it has been the response to it and the community that's built up around it. It's been super, super fun, super cool. And thank you, Brian, for letting me plug it shamelessly. <laughs>
0: of
1: course, it's blast off time, man.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's blast. Let's blast off into 2024. That's the slogan. It's blast. off
1: Amen. Time. DT, thank you so much for joining me on my weekly mixtape. Look forward to doing it with you again soon, man.
2: Oh, dude, it's always a pleasure to hang out with you on your show. I'm so proud of the work you're putting into it and the success you're having with it. Like I joked before about you talking to like some really famous people that I really love and respect and like, dude, I'm blown away that you are continuously growing and exploding and just I'm super proud to know you, super proud to be your friend. And I, I feel like you're slumming it by having me on your show.
1: Not, not at all, man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's my absolute pleasure. I will come back as many times as you'll have me. Well,
1: thanks again. And remember, mixtapers, you can find my weekly mixtape on all the social media haunts at my weekly mixtape. You can also head to myweeklymixtape.com to check out the full catalog of my weekly mixtape episodes. And if you like what you're hearing on the show, you could do me a favor by telling a friend about the show, leaving the show a five star review wherever you're tuning in or becoming a Patreon mixtaper at patreon.com forward slash my mixtape. That's all for this week. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, enjoy the tunes.